I wanted to give you some time to sit while your legs are fresh and uh, try to utilize the practice. The practice that we um, are involved in that is being stressed throughout this retreat is the awareness of mind. This being aware of mind is the key to meditation. Awareness is not thinking of mind. It is just utilizing the mind in its natural way. Um, in the beginning, hold on. Bodhidharma used the system. He went into a cave and he was meditating. And his, his system was one where he faced the wall of the cave. and just looked at the wall of the cave. This was called wall gazing. So, so he introduced that to the Chinese as this system of wall gazing. And the, the, the wall of the cave is symbolic. It is the wall of mind. And so, so by wall gazing, there's nothing to see except the wall. But when you're looking at the wall, all you're doing is really looking into mind. And so people, if they just looked at it with their thinking, I am looking at this wall, what would they see? The wall, right? So they just see wall. But with Bodhidharma, he, looking at the wall, his mind was able to detect very subtle movements and appearances in mind. Very subtle in mental impressions, um, sensations, all sorts of things that were coming up at that time. And so with this kind of gazing at the wall, the mind became very still, very quiet. He was aware of all of these impressions that were coming up, but he didn't have to rush towards them or do anything. He knew they were just simply projected on the wall of mind. So when we talk about wall gazing from Bodhidharma, it's the same thing as using the awareness of mind that Master Holmgren was talking about. You're using the awareness of mind to see things, but as the mind becomes clear and clear it does something that's very very interesting because it, it enters a state of um what they call upika so the term i spell it right 
upika. And what this means is the mind is in a state of what they call equipoise. It equipoise means that there's nothing that sticks out um, more than anything else. They, it goes beyond this idea of substantial and insubstantial in terms of the Chinese doctrine, but it goes more in terms of a balance of everything, seeing things as they are, that if there's something that was projected somewhere else, it's not. And so it, the mind gets into the state of equipoise where it sees things as they are. It's clear about it. And so I guess we need a black one. Um, but in any case, this idea of opika or equipoise, as you begin to look in your method and you use your method in the right way, what will happen is that these things that appear to be gross sensations or gross images, they'll be able, they'll calm down and, and they will no longer stick out very strong in the mind. So when they stick out and, and very strong in the mind, they will try to push you off of the method. So if you're looking into the mind and I'm tempted to use my own felt pens. But if I do, this will be there forever. <laughs> okay. Uh, but if, if let's say this is where you're looking and, and you have this idea of, I don't think you guys can see this, I'm sorry. Um, this there, the method and you're looking at it, then let's say you have a money problem. And so the money problem will try to push the method out. Because the mind is not in the state of equanimity. But when you can just wall gaze, then the mind settles down. And even the, the method begins to become more and more transparent. Okay. So it becomes transparent. And then you just see things. But what happens as things begin to pop up in the mind, they have an equal value. So you begin to see things, let's say, that are popping up, but they're just passing through like a quark, you know, um, subatomic particle. They're just rising very quickly and going, rising quickly and going. Later on, because your mind is in the state of equipoise, it almost turns into a... Um, what do they call those microscopes, subatomic microscopes that you can see deeply in, then these things even would appear like gross sensations, even though they're very subtle, you get to a more subtle where you can see just literally countless possibilities that are there. What you're really looking at at that point, for some of you understand yoga charcoals, you're beginning to see the beach seeds in the alive economy, you're beginning to see the potentiality, not of thought, but of ideas of thought, of the potentiality that's there. You're able to do that because the mind is in a state of equipoise. But you have to put it there by calming down, calming down, calming down, calming down. As you're calming down, then this wall gazing, going back to Bodhidharma, then works. It, the mind settles down and you see, so you're no longer seeing the wall of the cave. 
you're seeing right through the wall and came directly into mind, using mind to look at mind. When we do it in the wrong way, we mess it up. So when we have the idea, and now we return this back to the wall of the cave. And if we have this idea, maybe this one's a little bit darker. That, oh, this is better. All right. That we are here looking at the cave. And if there's appearances on it, what we're doing in actuality have created two obscurations, two obstructions. The first one is all these appearances on the, uh, the wall of mind or the mirror of mind. But you also have this obstruction, which is this one that is there that appears to appears to be looking and you're convinced that you are, are meditating. But if you are meditating in this way, the only way that this can truly be here is if you create the thought that it is meditating. That's why it too is an obscuration because it's appearing on the wall, but it makes, makes it you convinced that it's actually here. But in reality, this is an obscuration that's here. That's why you can't see the mind clearly because that's projected onto mind. Okay. Some of you are beginners, but this is good for beginners, honestly, because you don't have to waste all your time trying to perfect yourself. Mind is already perfected. You just have to know how to use it. It's like if somebody showed you here is a telescope, you can use it, and you're there, and, and you're, you're using it for a while, and they finally say, you know, it would look better if you turn it around to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody told me that. But I'm telling you now, turn the mic, uh, uh, telescope around, and then you can see everything so clearly. But we're using the wrong end of it. But when we're doing it and, and we're saying stay on the method, I'm not talking to you, talking to mine. So mine is going to be there. That's why I use the, the analogy, and it's used quite a bit, of like the semicircle, seeing the projection of you, the obscuration, and then all the other projections on the mind, and everything is perfectly in its place. We don't have to make these obscurations disappear. By the nature of it, the mind will see through it as being transparent because it is just a projection of the mind. Of course, the mind can see through it. It's, it's being projected on mind. So, so when we see this and we use it in the right way, it works. Now, fast forward about 300 years or so, give or take about maybe 200, and we get to Dao Xin. And Dao Xin says, when you practice, you should practice as if you're looking at the number one. 
So can you draw the number one in Chinese? I'm sure you can do it. I have much more confidence in your ability to just draw the number one on, on here. Okay. You're number one. <laughs> <laughs> That's his method. To, to contemplate number one. Pretty simple, right? What does that mean? No. If you if you just look in your mind and you're seeing this from a distance, that's all you see. What do you see? Do you see the one? Or do you see infinity or the horizon? You see? It just, this is your method, it's just a placeholder. It's just something there, but it doesn't interfere, it doesn't produce anything, it doesn't give you any secret or whatever. It's just something to hold on to, like, like wall gazing. So it's just a little bit extra there, but this is how you can meditate. You meditate. Yeah, Jacqueline? Yeah, I have a question about the method. So like with the wall gazing or the number one or being with the breath, I have a I have easier time wrapping my head around that because they're somewhat uh, still or constant. What I struggle with is like the counting of breath. Is it even possible to count the breath while staying with the method? One. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, in my mind, I, I actually really struck, like when I, I've heard other practitioners recommend like your breath, and I feel like that actually just takes me away from being able to be with the message. You're exactly right. You now can graduate. You ready? Watch the breath. Don't mm -hmm. count it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That should be your method now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't count it. Just watch it. <sighs> Did you see that one? <laughs> and then and from there then you will segue into sudden nation which has no method mm -hmm. so you're you're working on the right way it's, it's a progression okay i get it counting the breath so what so now watch the breath but again you've already figured this out what am i going to see well it's like the easiest thing you could do right so instead of trying to come up with something very, very difficult to do, you know, it's the easiest way to do that. So what I was practicing in Qigong, we used to have a method where sort of just ignore Chica. <laughs> but we had we had a method where you'd sit like this and you would you would follow like a pearl going through your head all the way to your dandian. And then you have another one too. So you're visualizing them going through. And then you have to keep the visualization. You're believing your mind's going to be occupied. You get up to nine of these, you know, and then essentially you send it back up in this wonderful display of life. But that's she going for. But you'd have to be able to keep your mind here, keep the mind, and 
and array these in some way. You can't just dump them in there like a, a sack of marbles. So you have to figure out how you're going to array them in there in a neat way. You know, so how would you put them in there? You know, you could do eight and eight, you know, and then one in the middle as a possibility, but you're 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 lining it all up. That's Qigong. In the Chan meditation, we let go of all of that. We let go of all those kind of, of real strong. The thing about this is how does that relate to Theravada? It develops concentration, mm -hmm. an incredible amount of concentration to be able to do that. Um, and so after a while, when you concentrate your mind on, on anything, it becomes extremely powerful. But in Chan, we don't use those kinds of methods of concentration. You have to have the faith to be able to do that. And, and, and the effort, the proper effort to do it. A lot of times when we do something, we try to muscle it. So Shakyamuni Buddha created this method of watching the breath. The reason he created that method was because it doesn't create stress in the mind. It doesn't create an excess amount of mental activity. It's the easiest thing that one could do. Whereas in, in um, Chan, there is what's called um, a Huat To practice, which can create stress, but it, but it depends on the person whether you recommend for them to do sun illumination or Huat To. Uh, to you, I think you would be fine because of the way you're going right now to just go this way with it, okay? And and I think that will help your condition, you know, in a way where it works. If not, then we would try you with Watteau where you're asking a question over and over again. But I think that that you're sitting well, I mean, considering you're a beginner, relative beginner, you're doing fine. So, so, and I'm asked, I'm responding to him because he is the beginner to go this way. So, so the least that you, you can occupy the mind for it will help you. It will actually, when you get up and direct the mind better so that you're, you're able to keep the mind on whatever you need to do. The concentration thing could do that, but it's going to add more stress where, where sometimes when we add stress, we add overactive activity of the mind, which the, the ancient masters were always saying, don't overactivate the mind. No, let it rest. And, and even the, um, uh, the Tibetans, they always talk about resting in Rigpas, right? resting in this present moment, resting in this awareness. And so, so all of this is, is something that we do. So if you just rest it, you know, so when we have this, there's, it's just like watching the breath or counting the breath. There's nothing for you to hang on to. It's just a line, unless you start going, oh my gosh, I remember in the movie Vanishing Point or Thelma and Louise, they had some. And then now you're really going crazy. You know, I see it as a cliff or I see it as a bird or whatever. You, you know, they're just saying, just stay with the one and, and do it. So. So these were ancient methods in terms of doing that. Now, if we use um, sign illumination, then it's, it, we're actually just back to wall gazing. 
all we're doing is we're seeing that. But what I'm trying to impart to you is what you're going to counter with when you're wall gazing. So you're going to see, again, these gross sensations and impressions and things. Um, all of these are coming up from the five skanda, form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. You are taking those to be real. You are taking those to be your mind. But in a way in which you are immersed in it and you, you are blind to the fact that whatever is so-called looking at it is actually also a projection on that mind. But there is an ability to move, move off of that where you've seen all these things there and then you're there right with them. There's the ability to move back from that and just use the mind's own own perception. Now it's very interesting, although we draw this in this kind of a way, as if it's some kind of a geographical location, it isn't in this way. These, these are fused together what they call self-absorption of the mind. They're, the difference in mind as looking at it, when we function in samsara and we use the mind, we we are in part subject to the rules of samsara. So if I said, oh, I'm a Buddha, then how come I can't fly, you know? <laughs> you know, got to cut down on the donuts, right? <laughs> I'm not going to get there. So we know that about being in this world. That's why they say the bodhisattvas, they have one foot in samsara, but one foot in mind. So although we're here in samsara, we're able little by little to access the reality of mind itself so that we are not just looking out like a lantern, you know, and seeing things. The mind has the ability to know what's happening, you know, depending on how, how realized that mind is or awakened that mind is way beyond this room. But at, at the minimum, it can be in this room. And it can do that at simultaneously talking to you and also talking to individual people. How can you do that? How can you do that? You can't do this with the with this projection that we call consciousness, but mind can do it. Mind can send a message if it wants. Now I'm not saying, oh, I have these superhuman skills. That's not the point. The point is thinking outside the box. That's why I always uh, uh, like Michael because of the quantum um, mechanics of things. They have this ability to think outside the box of the normal mathematics, normal science. And, and that's what you do here is you have to think about outside the box. And so when you're looking at this, there isn't really an eye that's looking at this projection, that's, it's an omnidirectional knowing from, from within and without, without there being any within and without anymore because it just belongs to the, the body of the mind. This entire thing is just the Dharmakaya, Dharmakaya being the mind ground, what has the ability to produce appearances. Now I'm going 
beyond begin. Okay. But but that part of the knowing mind is not knowing like I'm here and I know this. It's just like you you know. You know, um, it's like you know who, who your mother is. And and that's what um my my Dharma brother Goshipa said, you have to know who your mother is, you know. And and so he so he's going around asking everybody about that. We've had many, many discussions um between us as to who, you know, the mothers, you know, and and um and I remember once with Michael, Michael had was asking about that, you know, and he said, Oh, you know, like I'm I'm his brother. I'm not your brother, I'm your father. So, so sometimes it, it's that it's that way, but what it is 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 how we see things and just imagine you think the Buddha mind would be limited to this kind of a linear observation or, or duality when there's no duality, then everything is connected and and that's the thing when you're using this mind to meditate you're, it's kind of like a full immersion program where you're going to china and you and 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 you don't know a bit of chinese except you know uh nihao and and so everybody you see you know they're dropping the nihao because that's all you know but eventually you'll learn because it's a full immersion program and that's the same thing with meditation now, if I just taught you to cross your legs and then and don't think of anything, what a waste. Honestly, what a waste. And those people that have the ability to have been practicing for a long time, all of a sudden they hear this and bing, it hits. But for the beginners, it can hit right away. It doesn't matter. It, it, if you can understand it. So if you want, you know, uh, there's plenty of classes you can go to where they'll tell you to cross your legs and pick up the method and not tell you the esoteric. But this is a shortcut. This is the shortcut. If you really want to, to know, it doesn't matter if you're a beginner, don't worry about that. Okay, he, he's picked it up like so quickly. It's, it's amazing. You know, he's like newly minted, like maybe two days ago. And, but he can he can, he can get it. But if you sit there, yeah, go ahead. I have a question too. Um, I'm also a beginner to this method. Um, is there anything in this tradition about like hooking your mind onto like an internal mantra, or is, would that fall into the category of like too much mental activity? No, you can do that. Okay. You know what a mantra? The definition of a mantra is. <laughs> Are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the definition would be, but I mean, I come, yeah, my background has a lot of mantra in it, and it's like hooking your mind on a sound vibration current, whether it be internal. You're correct, though. This is from a Tibetan uh, Rinpoche. He was asked, what's the definition of a mantra? That which protects mind from mind. Contemplate that. That which protects mind from mind. Ooh. So you can use the mantra. 
Why does the mantra work? Because it protects mind from mind. There's a boogeyman coming to get you. you know. Is gone. How did it get removed? Because you saw through it, use the power of the mind to remove it. Where did the boogeyman come from? There you go. You see? Two days It is just that way. You see? It fits. See, I'm not telling you put down your, your practices. You know, I'm just telling you, this strengthens your practice. But whatever you've been practicing before, you, you'll have more faith in, in that mantra because it's not you that's saying the mantra. Mind is saying the mantra to protect the mind from mind. Who conjured up the boogeyman? You did. Not you as an individual, but mind. The, the mind, the individual self doesn't have that kind of power. But the mind has the power to manifest the boogeyman, Mara. But Mara is not different than, than mine. I mean, the thing in Christianity that I don't understand is, is that, that there was Satan, right? But who created Satan? Could only have been one in Christianity theology. It had been God. So, so you know, it, it doesn't make sense. But it's all right because it's there when you understand that. And, and then, so if you have a belief in God, then you have the power to overcome Satan. Hopefully. Unless they, they break the pole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, you had a question. I did. Um, so we're sitting down for meditation or, you know, at the mesh and some sorry. And uh, we're relaxing the mind, relaxing the body. Um, is there a particular physical tell that you um, would um, maybe call out that uh, where there has been that switch to uh, that relaxed state? I will tell you something that happens sometimes to me, but it doesn't always happen, you know, depending on, on the type. And, and understand to get into samadhi is not. The illumination of the mind or enlightenment, but it just means that the the the, the mind is stable. Mm -hmm. There still has to be the illumination, but but sometimes when you get the, when you get it right, to me, it feels like one of these scientific movies or not scientific science fiction movies, uh, where there's a, a quick chill, mm -hmm. and everything just goes. Yeah. You sometimes almost hear the sound just, and 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 there's a suspension of, of what was perceived to be reality at that time into this silent kindness, clarity of the mind. But saying that, then everybody's going to be waiting for the click, right? <laughs> you know. Well, for this meditator, there's a um, maybe a change in depth of field. So uh, a, a closeness. It, it can happen like that, Alan. Um, and that's okay as long as you don't hold on to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you hold on to it, then you're beginning going like that. And, and um, you know, somebody's in the class and they're getting frustrated. And you go, I got it. <laughs> I heard the click. But, <laughs> 
But the thing is, is that we we don't we don't trust those sensations, but those sensations are indicating that you're you're moving towards um, a, a silencing of the mind. So it's a good sign as long as you don't you don't try to put a flag there. Okay, you got to just keep moving through. So your question is one is a good question because because the thing is is that you have to let go of all kinds of sensations or experiences to just keep going. All of a sudden you see, okay, there's a bit more to this. There's a change, you know, the idea of this depth of field or or however it is and what you see. And it's very interesting. I think I mentioned before that Red Pine was saying it's not in the space between us, but the lack of space. There is no space between us, which makes everything there. This is the intimacy of the mind. So you may have some kind of sensations that as you're you're no longer this guy here, the big guy, you're now you're just a small one. But there's still some things that are being interpreted via via the uh, idea of the ego. Um, it, it's interesting because it's changing the the mindscape, and and it's it's changing it in a way where that little ego can go, wow, that was that was great, you know. Did, did you see that? Now we got a big ego again <laughs> because now that ego superimposes onto that experience. This is what we call. What anybody know? Unified mind. Huh? Unified mind. Unified mind. So unified mind reaches out and expands and touches everything. And you generally can can say, because when people come and they, they get interviews, they say, Oh, everything was so good, the birds were chirping. Birds chirping is number one <laughs> that people say when when they're reaching unified mind. I don't know why, but it's dirty chirping, the clouds are there, you know. Um, and and so they have there's these things that, that are there because what happens in unified mind is that instead of having a um, a little ego, it superimposes itself over everything, but it's like a, a layer of cellophane. Okay, so if you look for it, you can't do it. You know, um, you can't see it at all. You know, are you there? No. Are you sure you're not there? No, I'm not here. Everybody left already. This is your true mind. Oh, I don't know about that. That you have to be careful because. It will say, hey, you made it. Congratulations, high five, low five, you know, whatever. <laughs> and and it's going to trick you into thinking that you have achieved some experience. The Shurgama Sutra says these kinds of experiences are good as long as you put them down. But if you carry them, they can enter you into demonic states. Now, it's not demonic states like like some boogie map. What they mean by demonic states is it takes you off of this path that you're going towards realization of mind. And that's what they call, call demonic states. You know, it's not like, you know, you're going to fall into hell. But you could, I mean, literally do that. I mean, if you mess up. There, I knew one um, monk, that Tibetan monk, and he was able to tell people's fortune. 
And all of a sudden, he started to be able to tell people his fortune. So he carried a whole entourage of people around him all the time. But he was in a demonic state because he thought that that was uh, something great and all the people did. But in actuality, you know, in, in their Qigong, that's still low level skill. But, but if, you know, I'm say this and this and this and this, you guys would fall because he has such great power. Power is nothing. If power was there, I wouldn't be doing this instead of Qigong. This is the power to be able to quiet the mind completely and to come out of it and then to show others this is this is a greater skill, a greater purpose in life than just showing parlor tricks to people and then generally charge you for it. So <laughs> okay. So so anyway, what I wanted to and, and your question was a good one. I'm, I'm happy that you said it because it is compatible. It makes sense. It it brings what you're practicing with your mantra to life because in the in this when you reciting your mantra, the mantra is coming from mind to affect mind and to protect mind. And so so once you understand that, then you understand, hey, you know, if this works for me, it works for others. So you can be this beacon of wisdom. And so you're able to use that skill to calm people down around you. To, to, you know, it, it's not like like the exorcist where you're going around and going, the power of Christ compelled to you. What I'm talking about is truly bringing them to peace. If you found peace with that mantra, if you found that you can you can talk to other people about that. I would never take you away from your practice. Okay. I'm just trying to to show you how vast it is, why it works. That's what's important. It's not you, it's mine that makes it work. So when you see that in that way, that, that's important. So again, thank you for any other questions. I haven't even got to lecture yet. <laughs> Throughout your uh, talks, um, the way I've been trying to make sense of it internally um, for this, and I just wanted to see if this kind of made sense, was like, um, a lot of our experiences are like different levels of abstraction, like um, the idea of like, oh, we see something and then we have thoughts about it. And then we have thoughts about those thoughts and it just kind of goes up and kind of builds itself out of those levels of, of abstraction. And it, it seems that you're kind of describing mind as a level of no abstraction of just actual being before we kind of put other things on it. it, it this is that kind of level of no abstraction and, and no extra on top of it is, is that kind of a state that is a part of what you're describing as let, let me present in, in a couple of different ways to you that are used by the by the sutras. I'm learning that gas this thing. You should see things like a diamond. And and if you look in this facet, then you see something else. So all of these things that you are looking at, they're they're all reflected in this because they're all connected to mind. 
There's another one which is called Indra's net, where it's a net that has uh, mirrors on on every segment of it, and they all mutually reflect what's in the other mirror. It is this that is mine. These things here, if we see all of these specks, and we're, we're saying, I am seeing them, is a duality. And, and that, that duality will not, will confuse you. And you can only see the specks one or two at a time, with kind of binary shifting back and forth your attention, but so fast you think you're seeing both of them. But the but the uh, this kind of illusory mind can only hold one object at one time via its perception. The perception of mind holds everything. That's why they say ten thousand thoughts in the present moment. It is able to do that because it it is all of those things that are appearing, it understands that they're appearing in the mind realm. They're only part of the diamond or, or Indra's net. They're only part of that. So they're mutually reflected everywhere. And so, um, I, I hesitate to say it, but there's, there's a theory in quantum physics about mutual entanglement where something here could affect something way over here on the other side of the universe. And it is in this way that mind works. We don't understand it. The, the quantum physicists are, are just beginning to look at this and, and understand this, but they've actually been able to prove that. And, and I'm over, over, oversimplifying. I do not have a, a degree. So, you know, and Michael may be cringing back there, but you know, but what I'm trying to do is show you an example of how it's all connected. It's connected in this way. It's not this linear connection or tree connection. The only way you could say it's a tree connection is like Indra's network where it's connected in this way. So this is the way that we view mind. So viewing mind in this way, then when we sit to meditate, it's all there. But we don't try to fabricate. It's impossible for us, inconceivable for us to be able to use this mind via the sentient body or mind. As long as we hold on to an ego or a life and being, it is a projection on mind. It's an obscuration that actually prevents us from being able to make the connection in this way. Okay. So it's kind of interesting. Even though this is very complex, what I'm telling you, I think you're all capable of understanding. Once you understand, because it is, if you understand how mind works, then when you sit down, you're not going to try to invent mind. If you try to invent mind, the best you can get is, is unified mind. And that, that's kind of um, a feeling of like, like singing Kumbaya all day long, you know, oh, everything's so fine, everything's beautiful, the birds tripping. Ah, so you watch, you'll see the birds <laughs> oh the bird would chirp you know and and they can hear it says, well what were they saying how do i know you know well you should know if if, if you're the booty you would know what the bird was talking about you know you would know what the what non-sentient beings are saying to each other get off my head and the rock would say 
<laughs> so, so in any case, all right. So that's about as far as I can take you with with all of that, which is which is quite a ways. But this is kind of an, a, a little bit of a, of a more unusual class for a beginning class. What this class is, I guess you kind of figured it out by now. It's not really how do I cross my legs and meditate, but what is this all about? Because with that part, then everything else will come clear as to as to how to use mind to meditate. When we use the mind, then, and this is what Master Holmgren was pushing, was that we use the awareness of the mind. So this is important. So when we sit, if you're using your mantra, you have to be aware you're using, the mantra is arising in mind. It's not arising in your consciousness. Consciousness arises in, in mind. But, but mind does not arise in consciousness. Okay. That would be like an image of a bird chirping bird um, and saying that chirping bird is is not a projection but it is is actually mine and the blankness there is not real it, it doesn't make sense so you have to see the things as they are and and if you see things in this way it just opens up to to the potentiality of, of mind so when you're sitting you're clear about it no, and, and you not only that, but what it does is it gives you a choice moment to moment to moment to choose mind or choose ignorance. No, the person cuts you off. What do you do? You flash your lights, you give them a finger salute, and then they're chasing you, you know, all the way back to wherever you're at with a gun. That not a very good outcome for that but that will happen so everything that we do we measure it in mind we measure it in wisdom not bad right that you know the carpenters have a saying that you measure twice and cut once so they're very very careful they're very careful as, as to how they do that they don't just measure it assume it's right and then and then cut the board they, they want to make sure that they're doing that before the saw blade hits there. So whatever we say, whatever we do, whatever our responses are, they're measured, they're calculated. And so when you do that, you, you do it in a way that uh, is not necessarily insultive, you know, if you're, you're not pleased with something, but is instructive in terms of that and, and showing it from, from a different viewpoint. And so these are things that help us in terms of knowing how to, to interact with people. So beginning charm classes, how to be a good citizen. Number one is put down the ego. You see things omnidirectional. You see in a way that is for the, the better good of everything. You don't have to be the one that eats the last donut in the box okay it, it 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 you don't have to take it but if it's offered to you 
you know, with sincerity, maybe you will take it or you'll break it in half and give the half. That's wisdom, right? All of these things are ways to, to harmonize with the environment. Anything that you encounter is the environment. So you find a way to harmonize without the self. The less you put the self into the equation, the, the better the response is going to be in what you do. And so you cannot trust the self. It's very problematic. I cannot let Gilbert command the ship. You know, when I do, I, I mess up. When I do, I suffer. So I tell people, you know, I'm not perfect. I also have a black belt in suffering. All I have to do is just let myself suffer. And I begin to suffer just like everybody else. When I let go of the self, then I no longer suffer. I may have um, the same problem there, but I'm not creating a suffering from a viewpoint of an ego. It's just something that, that has to be solved. All right. It's a mess up, whatever it is, you know. Um, and uh, so you, you just take care of it at that point. Um, but this is something that that you see in everyday life, everything that we do. Try to make the choices, try to figure out what's there. You know, when you, you pack for a trip, do you pack carefully or do you just start throwing things in at the last moment? Or are you going, I'm going to need this, I'm going to need that, I may need that or I may not. I didn't need all of these things, but I didn't overpack. So you're careful about what's happening. Everything is mindfulness in this way. This is mindfulness to see how, how we are. The mindfulness that is now being advanced is so syrupy that it, it really has lost its use, you know, like, oh, let me open up the door. Or let me do this. Those things are natural things, you know, that you do. You don't have to get a badge because you opened up a door for somebody <laughs> or whatever, you know. But those are all the things, you know, like, oh, meta, meta, meta. That was my my main, these guys know, that, uh, my, my, my main thing in terms of people now signing letters with meta, you know. And it's gotten so cartoonish, you know. No, you meta. No, I mean, meta to you. No. It isn't in this way. That term metta is a very profound and deep term, incredibly deep term. It comes from the Abhidharma. And if you look at the Abhidharma, this word metta, this loving kindness is there. And it's an expression of the Buddha mind. This next word that's defined in the Abhidharma is called karuna. Karuna is compassion. And it's defined as, as that which has an interest in the suffering of others. Sounds like Guan Chi Pusa, right? But that's what it is. It, 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 that is something that's within our, our, our mind, but we don't see it that way. It's not something that we, um, we develop. It's already there. We just have to use it and use it in the right way. So anyway, let me go back to where we have in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Try to move through this very quickly, but 
what I was saying, I think is helpful. So there's a lot of times I'll, I, I will go through a lecture. Sometimes I'll do a lecture and I won't get off the first line of something or first word sometimes. I mean, there's no need to go further. Here the question is, what is maintaining awareness of the mind the fundamental basis of nirvana? Or why is maintaining awareness of the mind the fundamental basis of nirvana? We already heard that nirvana is this idea of blowing out the light, meaning letting go of the self. And they're saying, why is this awareness there? And so the answer is the essence of what is called nirvana is serene extinction. And serene extinction is an interesting word because it, it's the extinction of the grasping of an idea of a personality, ego, or a life and being. I get those three uh, um, descriptions from the Diamond Sutra. And so if we have anything that has a sense of its own self, it will obscurate the mind. When we see that and we extinguish that, there's a serenity there. In our practice, and then going back to, to Alan, uh, in terms of his experience in that moment, there's a sublimeness that arises. And this is an element, but it cannot be a contrived element. It is, it is a product of the proper meditation. When we have awareness, the, the mind is relaxed, it's contemplating the method, it's continuous. In that moment, there comes a sublimeness. The sublimeness comes from extinguishing the idea of the ego in that moment. You don't have to say goodbye to it. You know, bye-bye, you go, you know, it was nice knowing you. Um, you just have to let it go. And when you let it go, and letting it go doesn't mean to give it a bum's rush and kick it out. It just means to let it dissipate. On its own understanding mind, we know it's a habitual pattern. So it, just like anything else that's there, will dissipate and, and no longer have a strong effect on the mind. When there's that extinction, then the mind is sublime. Not bad, right? You, treat it, you, you want to feel like poop every day or you want to have the sublimeness there. Not bad. It is unconditioned and pleasant. Again, that's what I'm talking about, this idea of sublimeness. It's unconditioned. It's pleasant. It, it's like the statues of Guanxin Pusa or, or statues of some of the Buddhas. They have a sublimeness there. It's like it's not a laugh. It's not a smirk. It's not a complete smile. It's just, yeah, that's it. You need it? No, don't need anything. You want it? No, don't want anything. It's just there. It, it, it is at rest. Not bad. When one's mind is true, false thoughts cease. I cannot go to the next part of this until we understand. What does he say when one's um, mind is true? What does that mean? We should not go to the next uh, little part of this until we understand that. What, what is when one's mind is true? 
Nobody, no. Go ahead. Illuminated, because in illumination you would see that things are empty, right? So you wouldn't get caught up in things. Okay. And anyone else? See your own nature. No. What is just abiding in the true nature? Yeah, same thing. These are things where where we see things. It's true. It it it's not clinging to phenomena and defining that and and creating this idea of this consciousness is is our mind when the mind is just simply mind it's true it can see the consciousness and it can even use the consciousness but in a state of union no thought it just follows a function that's when the mind is true so it's a pretty nice stabilized mind then false thoughts cease so so that saying causes and condition never fail if you just stabilize the mind with that's true that the, the clear mind then at that moment then the false thoughts will no no longer come up even if a thought came up one could easily detect that that it's a false thought it's arising but at this point when it's completely true they're actually referring to complete enlightenment when false thoughts cease the result is correct mindfulness so this is the correct mindfulness here so when those th thoughts cease the mind doesn't have to go oh this is a, a mindfulness thought you know oh you got a little bit of ego in your shirt let me take it off you know it's not that way it it is it is just correct it just correct mindfulness it it sees things it sees the environment in a state of equipoise not bad not bad you don't know that but then that means like like everybody's the same yeah but you know i want to see beautiful people well they are beautiful no, that one's over there. She's ugly. <laughs> By whose definition? To an alien, maybe, you know. All right. Having correct mindfulness leads to the generation of the wisdom of serene illumination. So this is, so if we have this correct mindfulness, so it's the mind freed from all of these um, vexatious thoughts, then it leads to a generation, okay? And there's always a very strong point of, um, in references of generating, okay? So what is a generator? It's something that produces some form of energy. So if I had a crank here and I had things all wired in the right way and I turned it, it would generate electricity. To me, I'm a generator. So I'm here and I'm trying to generate this, this Dharma power in you and trying to show, you know, you each have a generator. You know, you come equipped with it. We, we didn't tell you that, but under your cushion, you'll find the generators. You can pull it out now, <laughs> so we can examine it and you can generate wisdom. Wow. You see, there is a reason why you put your seat on the cushion to meditate. 
so you can recognize your generator. Now you have a generator. So now you generate wisdom. So every moment you generate wisdom or you generate ignorance, it's your choice. Which one do you want to do? I want to generate ignorance. No. Like, that's like dumb. No, why would you want to do that? Once you know you have a choice, why would you choose ignorance? Why would you choose vexations or discriminations? It doesn't make sense when we, we do things. No. To, to some of you, I, I may be silly. To some of you, I may be profound. I'm, I'm just here. And you have to see why I'm here. And, and trying to generate in you wisdom. So, so the only way I can do it is by you choosing to use that generator. So, so, and if you generate this wisdom, it's a wisdom of serene illumination. Serene illumination. So why is it serene? Because everything's in a state of equipoise or opika. And so since everything is just even, it's serenely illuminating it and going, this is the way it should be. Calm down, calm down. No, we'll, we'll get there. It'll work. Whatever happens, eventually, it's all created by mind. Of course, when you're with people and there's somebody dying, you cannot do that and just say, you know, everything's impermanent. I'll see you later. <laughs> you know, but you, you choose wisdom as to what to say to them in that moment. So as not to disrupt them. It understands that. Like, like Shifu, he once he told me, uh, I, was, I caught him before a retreat. And we were passing in the hall, and I said, Chifu, I understand this. It's like, like you have a bicycle, and you just stick a, a spoke in the bicycle, and then the bicycle just immediately stops. And so Chifu said, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it works. And, um, and what was very funny was my interaction with Chifu was I had these conversations with him, supposedly in English, which he supposedly he didn't really understand. Um, but he was always responding to me eloquently in English. And, and so, so then as I was walking away, very happy with my example, he says, Gilbert, and he has a very long finger. He used to always pointed at me. And he said, Gilbert, but remember, it only stops for you. Again, with the Arhat type stuff, he was trying to tell me, you know, it only stops for me. So I, have to have the responsibility to show other people that it can stop all of the the idea of the self so the world can stop the world stops in the sense that in that part that is not no longer creating um uh, illusions harmful illusions so one knows how to do that but this is this is the idea of the serene illumination because then you kind of it just calms you down. It enables you to talk to people in, in, in this very moment to say what needs to be said, not what's just on the page, but what needs to be said to this particular audience at this particular moment. It is customized for you. By, 
So it says, which in turn means one achieves total comprehension of Buddha nature. So that means you understand how mind works. That's total comprehension means that you have figured out this is the way mind works. The the beginning lesson of how mind works is what beyond. Um, causes and conditions never fail. Yeah, pratika samapada causes and conditions never fail. So that's the first thing you know. Everything is here because of of a cause. Understanding that changes the whole world by living your life in accordance with that realization of how mind works. Okay. And then it says, um, by comprehending Dharma nature, one achieves nirvana. Therefore, maintaining the awareness of the mind is the fundamental basis of nirvana. So when you understand how mind works, then you go, yeah, I'll choose the Buddha every time. Because it's foolish not to choose the Buddha. Choosing the Buddha is just meaning choosing wisdom, moment to moment to moment. You know, um, you, you don't, you try not to say bad things about people. You try not to think about bad things. You try not to give dirty looks to people. You know, you you are very mindful of how, how that can have like a ripple effect in the future. So then it says, uh, why is maintaining awareness of the mind the essential gateway for entering the path? So what is a path? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> And it says, the Buddha teaches that even actions as seemingly trivial as raising the fingers of a single hand to draw the image of a Buddha can create merit as great as the San Ganji universe. So if we, we drew a Buddha with our finger, it's, it's a great merit. He says, however, ever, that's why I'm not going to trick you guys. He said, <laughs> however, this is just his way of enticing foolish sentient beings to create superior karmic conditions whereby they'll see the Buddha and become enlightened in the future. So in other words, they're going to conjure up the Buddha because they see, okay, how do I make a Buddha? The, the Buddha looks like that. So they're making an affinity with, with the, the Buddha, but it is really... It isn't really a, a deep experience. So I could do that with you and start it and say, okay, I want you all to sit and just like the Buddha sat, okay, just feel like you looking like the Buddha. Just sit there. And and so you will have affinity somewhere down the line to hear someone else that takes you a little further down the road. But I'd rather tell you how the Buddha mind works instead of creating the idea of this, this extra special person that you want to draw a picture of. You see the, the shallowness of that. But to those people that are shallow, then that's something. But you don't have to do that. You can gauge the audience that you have. You can, you can begin to, to condition their mind to be able to accept what you're saying and take them far beyond what what if they tried to do it on their own they'd be able to i guarantee you if you tried to read what i what i'm reading from you would not be able to get um much of it you would be able to get it on the basic cable but you would not it would not go deeper than that 
but what I'm doing is taking the time to, to have you examine this to so you can see how this works. Okay, so we're not good, good. I'm not going to be enticing foolish people. Um, and he says, um, if you wish to achieve Buddhahood quickly in your own body, here it is, right? If you now he's telling you the shortcut. Okay, now you can do that, and you know, after 10 kalpas or something, you know, maybe you'll see, see the Buddha, but it'll still be a picture. Now he's telling you, you want the shortcut. So how many of you want the shortcut? All right, good. Well, I, I wasn't very convincing. <laughs> can you just draw the Buddha instead? <laughs> All right, I mean, we should want the shortcut. What do you think the shortcut is? You should know by now. It is maintaining awareness of your true mind. This is meditation. So I'm giving you the shortcut. He's telling you this is the shortcut. Everybody says, don't teach so deep. You know, you can't de teach deep. And I'm going, I don't want to, you know, how shallow do I want to go to draw a picture of the Buddha and have everybody copy it? This is nonsense. You guys deserve better. I don't come here to Chicago to draw pictures of Buddhas. I come here to awaken you that you have the Buddha mind. That's the shortcut. All you have to do is use it. You have to use it in the right way. The Buddha and Buddhism is not a religion. There is no supreme Buddha, even if we go to the primordial Buddhas, that that one you could you could ask for help from from the Buddha or Guanyin Pusa or whatever, but it isn't that there is a supreme being that's there. What mind that you are using now is the Buddha mind. You have it already. So you go home and they say, what did Gilbert say? I have the Buddha mind. Oh, you better not go back there again. <laughs> but it's true. You have the Buddha mind. You read any sutra, any treatise, and they'll tell you that. Why do we keep it from people? Why do we teach them such elementary, simplistic things that don't get them anywhere? You are capable of understanding this. This very mind is the Buddha mind. This is what's important. That you 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 uh, begin to realize it. How do you realize the Buddha mind? Maintain awareness of your true mind. That's it. That's all. That's all. Hongren, Master Hongren, was was presenting this whole time is maintaining this awareness. So when you sit to meditate, you just maintain the awareness of the mind. You use the mind to be aware. It's instantly quiet. Truly, it's instantly quiet. You don't use yourself. You, if the self appears in front of you, just see through it. Like a transparent fish. Just see through it that it's an appearance. Any sensation, vexations, any cogitation, any thoughts, it is also appears 
in mind as a projection. All of that is a projection in mind in accordance with causes and conditions. That's how the Buddha mind works. So now you know how the Buddha mind works. You know how to make connection with the Buddha mind. It's easy. It doesn't matter what you're practicing. If you're practicing, look and doing Tibetan, look into Dochen. It's the same. It is just the same as what I'm presenting to you. Uh, the, these two Chan and Dochen uh, Tibetan practice are the same. Just absolutely incredible. So you just use the mind in this way. It's transferable. No, it, whatever you want. Just back off from the self. The Buddhas of the past, present, and future are incalculable and infinite in number. And every single one of them achieve Buddhahood by maintaining the awareness of the true mind. Okay, so if you want to realize your mind, you know now this mind that you're using is a Buddha mind, but you go, you know, how do I crack through this? How do I do this? Is by maintaining it moment to moment. It is what works. If you go to a retreat and you do this, one of the ancient masters said, if I am wrong about this, that may I go to a Viki hell, the lowest hell, and every day have my tongue cut out. If in a seven-day retreat, if you maintain your awareness of the true mind continuously. Now, I'm not fudging it and saying, no, you know, when you're brushing your teeth, you don't maintain it. Or when you're, you're eating, you don't maintain it. All the time, sleeping and waking, maintain it. You will see your, your uh, original nature. You will. Because that, that's all the time it takes to do that. But on the other hand, maintaining it day to day, it will happen too. Pratika Samapada, causes and conditions never fail. If you go to the cushion and just start watching movies, you'll be very good at sitting on the cushion and watching movies or feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, I'm so sorry you guys have late pay. You know, oh, that's, that's so bad, right? So you have the late pay and you forget to be able to practice but if you maintain the awareness of your mind you won't feel your leg pain it'll still be there but you will it you will not suffer from it so therefore the sutra says when one fixes the mind in a single location this is single-minded purpose there is nothing that cannot be as accomplished Therefore, maintaining awareness of the true mind is the essential gateway of the path. And uh, we're running out of time. Um, trying to glean some last little nuggets before we go, but I've got about Two days were still. <laughs> All right. Because this is a beginning meditation class, I have to follow my, my responsibility. If you're just beginning to practice sitting meditation, then do so according to the Sutra of Contemplation of Amitabha. And so this is the instructions from that. Sit properly with your body erect. 
closing the eyes and the mouth, look straight ahead with the mind, visualizing a sun at an appropriate distance away. Maintain this image continuously without stopping. Regulate your breath so it does not sound alternately coarse or fine as this can make you sit. If you sit in meditation at night, you may experience all kinds of good and bad psychological states. Um, enter any of the blue, red, yellow, white samadhis Witness your body producing light, observe physical characteristics of the Tathagatha, or experience various other transformations. When you perceive such things, concentrate the mind and do not become attached to them. They are all non-substantial manifestations of false thinking, so forget about them. The sutra says all countries of the ten direction are non-substantial, um, like space. Also, the triple realm is an empty apparition that is solely the creation of the individual mind. So the triple realm uh, is the realm of desire, the realm of form, and the realm of no form. And so they're saying that these are, are just created um, by the individual mind. When we say created by the individual mind, meaning that it, from habitual patterns, these things come up. Don't worry if you cannot achieve concentration and do not experience various physical states. Just constantly maintain true awareness of the mind and your actions. There you now he went back to it. All right. We're back going deep again. If you can stop generating false thoughts and illusions of personal possession, and, and that you have to be sincere in your practice to be seeing things that my thought, my honor, my this, my that. All of these things are arising in the mind, and you see them, and you just let them go. Then you will realize that all myriad dharmas are nothing other than the manifestation of your own mind. So everything that appears is just created by the mind, your true mind. The Buddhas only preach extensively using numerous verbal teachings and metaphors because the mental tendencies of sentient beings differ, necessitating a variety of teachings. In actuality, the mind is the basic subject of the 84,000 doctrines. That is what I teach it in this way. He's saying, in actuality, the mind, everything that's taught, and I will defy you to find a sutra that doesn't reflect this or a treatise that doesn't reflect and go back to mind. We don't teach it. We should teach it because this is a shortcut. This is a shortcut. You have to know how the mind works. And he's saying all of these countless doctrines, sutras, or whatever, they, they all reflect how does mind work. The ranking of these three vehicles and the definitions of 72 stages and of, of the wise men. So I didn't finish all the different things they were saying. To be able to discern one's own inherent mind and improve the ability to maintain awareness of it with every moment of thought is equivalent to constantly making pious offerings to the entire Buddhist canon and to all Buddhas in all directions of space. 
who as numerous as the sands of the Ganges River. It is equivalent to constantly turning the wheel of the Dharma with every moment of thought. Essentially, what they're saying is that maintaining continually the awareness of the mind is it. So if you understand this, then you, you can maintain this beginner's mind just simply because you don't have to try to get anything. You already got it. I should have handed you a diploma before you came in going, you are now bestowed with the, the, um, with the Buddha mind. And and so then you'd have well, this effective immediately, <laughs> right? And before you came in, you already had it. And when you leave, you won't lose it. No, because even if it's clouded, it's still there. Okay. So this is what I have to impart to you in terms of meditation. I really want you to try to use it to to penetrate through the um, obstructions in the mind. You will find it will work. Okay, we'll uh, let you guys take a break now. You can rise again. We'll stand up. Is the Buddha going to and bow. I'm going to bow to the Buddha. Bow to Mind, true mind, and in its existence. 